Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well by yourself. Well, not the greatest. No? No. I'm ridiculously tired. I've been sick to my stomach all day. I think I'm in the right frame of existence to talk about Bloody Birthday from 1981, <laughs> your pick to wrap up and conclude our slasher block we've been doing. Yeah, it's been a fun block. It has been fun. Maybe not every movie has been great, <laughs> but it's been fun talking about them. And I feel like we've learned things along the way. <laughs> yes. Hopefully the listeners have as well. I hope so. We can only hope. <laughs> um, and again, I want to give a big shout out to last time to Chris for joining us. Make sure you go follow him on TikTok at the 4K Outlaw. Yeah. See all his cool videos about the Blu-rays he's picking up and different films he's talking about. Yeah, it was great having him, and it was a great suggestion. It was. I'm still kind of kicking myself that I waited this long to see the final girls. And yeah, I can't believe yeah. you missed it. Yeah, that's I weird. I was just like, wow, this is like everything. This, you can't, you can't see everything, though. Don't, yeah. be, don't beat yourself up. It's okay. And that's why I love doing the podcast, because it, it brings us to these things. Yeah, man. So, all that being said, we're going to do all our usual stuff first. We're going to talk about what we've been watching. And as you know, we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. And we love it, and they're great. And we have all these awesome other shows you could be listening to as well. So you should swing on over to the main site for that. Heck yeah. Show some love to those other shows. Yeah, there's lots of great stuff out there. Some might even be better than ours. I mean... Most are, probably, <laughs> to be honest. But, you know. It's whatever. Different strokes for different folks. Sure. You know. Whatever trips your trigger. <laughs> So what have you been watching, my friend? Okay, um, this the, the, uh, the one I was watching uh, kind of segs nicely with our main movie today, mm-hmm. Bloody Birthday. Oh, well, you happen to have another one. If not, I have a question for you that you can use. <laughs> okay. Um, in the interim since the last episode, your curiosity got the better of you, and you summoned me over to watch Kill Her Goats. Yes. So if we want to, since this is the end of the slasher block, and oh yeah, yeah, right, and the muck verse has kind of plagued the <laughs> yeah. entire show, this this uh, uh-huh. little run. Yeah. I didn't know if we maybe wanted to rewind back to kill her goats again, uh, just so you can have your piece in on it now that you've seen it as well. Um, sure. Yeah, I'll yeah. touch on that briefly. Okay. Cool. Um, <clears throat> okay. Kill her goats is a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> it makes muck look almost good. It's just, it, I mean, it's like every criticism you said I share. It's just, it's threadbare. It's almost nothing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's hot chicks for like an hour in various stages of clothing. Not, there's no real character. There's no real motivation. There's no, the plot is extremely confusing. If you hadn't explained stuff to me. <laughs> Which I only figured out because after I finished it the first time, I was like, wait, what? And I went back and rewatched key scenes too. Yeah, because when the together. characters are introduced, it says a little something about them, and you have to read that and remember that. Some that, of them that, you see at the start, and you don't get the payoff for it till like the end of the movie, and you've already forgotten about yeah. it. Yeah, and it, it it breaks the first rule of filmmaking. You know, it's it's they're telling and not showing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just so it's a very frustrating experience. <laughs> Very I liked it better watching it with you than I did when I watched oh, it by myself. If you but, like bad movies yeah. and you get some, you know, buds and beer, mm-hmm. go for it. You needed several to finish the film, <laughs> yeah. as I recall. Um, there are two more points I want to lay down about it because I meant to say them last time and I kind of forgot and gutted them because I knew we had a lot of Evil Dead stuff to get into. Hell yeah. Um, two things. One is that the cinematography, like I said, it was worse than Muck. And the one thing I wanted to mention that I really forgot to was... 
they do some like day for night shots and they don't like they don't mask it well at all. No, it's completely it, disorienting. It's clearly the dead of night in one scene and then the next scene it is like middle of the day bright light. Right. Especially yeah. when they're inside that shed mm-hmm. and there's bright light pouring in from outside. It's <laughs> obviously daytime. Um and it confused me because that little shed in particular like that shack is in muck and they use it in that scene in muck. Well, of course, it's part of the muck first. And it's it's fine in muck. It doesn't I don't get how they did it once right and then got it wrong. I will say one good thing about this movie is that the editing was somewhat better. <laughs> I wasn't quite as confused uh-huh. because of shitty editing. So that's something. Which looked like they had a different editor than Muck. So. Yeah, yeah, right. That probably helped. I think so. And then the other thing I want to say is I meant to talk about the whole, like, what is the Muckverse, right? So what's the connection? And it's very disappointing because in Kill Her Goats, Muck is just a movie that exists in their universe that they watch. Yeah. And that the main character, for some reason, has all the Kickstarter memorabilia. For some reason. For like some reason. ten pairs of muck panties. Yeah. <laughs> and I stress again, what woman wants muck on her panties? I'm, I mean, I, okay, if you do, I'm not judging you. That's cool. That's your thing. But I don't know. <laughs> okay. I feel like we've laid that to rest. Yeah. So then maybe I'll do my two, and then you can... I mean, we're definitely watching his next movie, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'll probably fucking buy it, to be honest, so... It's the kind of monster I am. Right. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Uh, I'll do my two, and then you can do your last (laughs) one. Oh, you have two? Yeah, to segue us into Bloody Birthday. Maybe I'll do two. Screw you. I got a a bad one and a good one. Because I realize I've been kind of all smiles these past few, uh, what I've been watching. Mm -hmm. I got to correct that, so... Let's get the shit out of the way first. Um, I went to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Everyone's saying it's really good. That's what I'm hearing. I got no dog in this fight. Uh, so it's like, it's the best of the Phase 4 movies. Except, if your franchise, except, if your except, franchise needs phrases, <laughs> or phases rather, I'm out. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, It's the best of that lot except for maybe the Spider-Man one. And they both kind of work on the same gimmick of the Spider-Man one worked because they brought in Toby and Andrew... And that had so much like hype around it, and all the like the you know classic characters coming back right. for a crossover thing. And then this Guardians one kind of works because it is James Gunn back in the saddle doing well, we all do love James doing Gunn, all the James yeah. Gunn stuff. Yeah. But it's just like oh my god, it's like uh... so they have this whole like very sad plot about like the backstory of Rocket, mm-hmm. which is cool and it's well done and it's pretty spot on to the comics, which I respect. But it's like. You think about it, and it's like, in the scheme of all of these, like, it would matter so much more if we had built toward it. But we didn't really build toward it. We just had two other Guardian films that happened with their own stuff going on. And then, like, now we're addressing everything on that angle. And it felt, uh, I'm going to say emotionally manipulative, because they really ply it for, like, Mm. they want you to, like, get upset and be, like, sad and cry over it. Right. But it didn't feel earned. In a way. Well, it's very easy to show animals in distress and get sympathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do I want to say about it? And then even like the tone of it completely like... It never really felt like a Guardians movie for a lot of the time. Because it's like... Their whole status quo is now like weighed down by the rest of the cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. So like... Oh, spoilers if you're not keeping up, I guess. But uh, in Endgame, they went through a whole thing of, like, Gamora died, and then they brought her back, but it's her from the past. So fucking cheap. And so she has no memories of anything that they did together. So cheap. And so she doesn't like Star-Lord anymore, or doesn't want to hang out with the Guardians. 
Now, apparently James Gunn didn't know they were going to be doing that, right? That's what I've heard. I don't know. That was not his idea. He had no part of her getting killed off, and apparently that kind of pissed him off. <laughs> um, so a lot of the film is like weighed down by this, because it's like, at the start, Star-Lord is just like depressed as hell, and is like still grieving over like That's every movie. losing Gamora, and it's like... I don't know, at the start they just seem so pathetic. And then the first thing that happens is that Adam Warlock shows up and kicks everyone's ass. Which is my next complaint, is that Adam Warlock is just w- both wasted in this movie and ruined in this movie. Like, his whole entire situation of his character is just, he's stupid. And they kind of gutted anything else the, from the comics. It's like, oh, that's what this character is cool for. Right. You know, kind of thing. It's like they just used him because they knew they were using the High Evolutionary as the villain. And he has a connection there. Okay. But it's like he served no purpose other than to, like, start the plot of, like, he hurt Rocket enough that they had to go figure out his whole backstory to save his life. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, And then they lean, like, super hard into, like, you know, every movie of the Guardians series has been, like, they have, like, the music cut-ins of, like, Mm-hmm. You know, from Maybe Peter's, soundtrack Peter's like soundtrack tape, that he has, yeah. his mixtape. And it, I know they do it in every film, but it seems like here it was like, God, there were like five or six distinct full scenes where they had it tracked to a song, a different song every time. And it's like, it felt tired to me a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes it like seemed incredulous to the story. Like there's one part where they're about to storm this big stronghold. And Quill, like, pops an earbud in and turns on a song. And I was like, you're about to go run through this place and shoot it up. And you're going to listen to music, like, (laughs) in the heat of battle. I don't know. It's like Baby Driver. (laughs) I guess, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm so done with these movies and, like, I don't know. Nothing about it sparked any, like, good feelings. Yeah. I mean, I checked out a while back. And and that's kind of disturbing to me because the Guardians movies were probably the ones I liked the most. Oh, easily they are some of the best. Because they were less superhero and more science fiction. Mm -hmm. You know, so. So that's that's sad to hear. (laughs) Um, So it is what it is. If you're still enjoying the Marvel movies, I'm sure you will like this because... Again, it is. It did seem the best of what they've been working with lately. So, and real quick to chime in on about James Gunn, I he is wasted with big budget movies. Yeah. I, I hate the fact he's one of those great directors, mm-hmm. those great kind of indie directors that get scooped up and then they just make corporate committee <laughs> bullshit. You know, because I mean, Slither was great. Super is so underrated and so underseen. Mm-hmm. It's a great yeah. movie. Now that's my kind of superhero movie right there. <laughs> if you haven't seen Super, go back and watch it. Uh, it's just, it's frustrating. I mean, I loved him for his trauma stuff, which is what got him yeah, canceled. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and then uncanceled. Yeah. I guess if you make people enough money, they'll uncancel you. Oh, and then my last little gripe on this Guardians film: at the end, they do the whole thing where like everyone kind of like blows apart. Like he doesn't get back with Gamora. Boo! Spoilers ruined mm. it for you. Um, <laughs> they just kind of go their separate ways because she's again she still has no memory at all and. Uh, through their team up, she kind of is like, oh, these guys are kind of cool, I guess. But yeah, she's still doing her own thing. And then like each, each of them have a thing. It's like, cool. It's like, I got to go figure myself out and sort myself out. And the Guardians kind of break up and they, they just leave it with Rocket. And they tease like what the new team is. And it's just, it's kind of sad and pathetic, really. Is it like Rocket and Howard the Duck? And- uh, it's, it's, it's Rocket and Groot. Um, Kraglin, who has Yondu's like, little like mohawk control okay. the arrow thing 
um, Adam Warlock, and then a little girl that they save in the film that I think they're trying to suggest is supposed to be Philavel, which is another cosmic-related character in the comics that's tied to Adam Warlock. I think she's technically his daughter, but... You lost me a while back. In the, in the film, are. they have no connection, so that's its own weird mess that I'm just going to set aside for okay. like comic nerd talk one day. But yeah. Yeah. I am not the person to have that conversation with. And it seems like that's like the story of Marvel Phase 4, is like we take our things and break them apart and then make like a shittier version of them. And then they'll be remade in five years. Yeah. I don't know. They're going to reset it all with Secret Wars anyway, so... It's common, folks. <sighs> okay. Okay, so that's that. So what's your better movie? My better movie is I watched a 24 film that I had missed. Mm -hmm. I checked out In Fabric, directed by Peter Strickland. Oh, yes. uh, From 2018. You may know it as the Haunted Dress movie, which is a terrible way to describe it. Um, It was actually Tiffany that put this to me because she watched it on her own one day and then was like, oh my God, you need to see this movie. You'll love it. And it's really weird because as it... As I was going through like the first part of it, I was like, I don't really know if I like this at all. I mm-hmm. feel almost like I kind of don't like it. Uh-oh. But then there's a part in the film that you hit where it kind of like pulls back a little bit and starts to unfold and you get more of the scope of what they're doing. Mm. And at that moment, I was like, oh my God, I fucking love this film and I love everything it's doing. And now that I know this, it makes everything I've gone through to this point also awesome. Okay. In a different way. So it's one of those you got to kind of meet halfway to a yeah. certain point, and then it um, clicks. It's very surreal, very abstract. There's no, like, coherent narrative where when you get to the end, you're like, oh, yes, I understand everything that just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very open to your interpretation, very open-ended. Um, I think when I tried to pitch it to you after I watched it, I was like, it's basically a more abstract Suspiria, but set at a department store instead of a dance academy. Right. So it's really weird. It's like this... The, the people that make the dress that have it in their store, they're, they're doing like weird, like culty ritual things with mannequins. Um, and then it's not quite an anthology, but you see the dress move through the lives of like three different people. And it's implied that it continually is doing this. Hmm. And it's just weird. And there's a lot of all the weird sexual energy tension stuff going on and a lot of the little subplots. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I dug it. It was so good. That's one I missed. I'll have to check it out. I watched it about a week ago, and I literally have thought about it every single day. Wow. And, like, pondered more of, like, what it meant and what was going on and Hmm. little details. Interesting. So, super good. If you missed it, like me, definitely circle back to that if you like weird uh, brain teasers and ones that really get you thinking and pondering about stuff. Nice. All right. What was your other movie? Or do you even have another one you want to talk about? Um, I do. I watched a film that, as I said, kind of strangely folds in with Bloody Birthday in a way. Um, I just kind of stumbled upon it. It was on Shudder. Oh. Uh, Poison for the Fairies. I have not heard of it. From 1984. It's a Mexican film. Uh, Here is the synopsis. A 10-year-old girl convinces a lonely classmate that she is a witch, forcing the child to become her assistant. Through their games, though their games are initially rather naive, they gradually take a nasty and violent turn. Hmm. Um, it, it's not... Yeah, hmm. It's very kind of a slow burn, and it's uh, more of a psychological horror. Um, that's cool. I, I do recommend it. You have to be in a certain mindset for it, though. Mm. It's very much... You're very much in their world. 
It reminded me of a lot of Heavenly Creatures, which came out oh, okay. after, of course. Yeah. How they kind of have their own little fantasy world in that. Uh, you describing it makes me think of that uh, Celia movie I watched in the full quarter box set. That's another one I need to watch soon. Where she, you're very into her like childlike perspective of everything. Yeah, this almost falls into full quarter. Because mm. uh, one of the girls, Veronica, she's just obsessed with witches. and She wants to be one. And she convinces this girl she is one. Um, it's, it's definitely a slow burn. Uh, it's interesting, too, because... They barely show any adults. Like uh-huh. whenever, whenever there's an adult on screen, it's usually shot from the back of their head. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of times where they show faces, but it's usually only if they're dead or if it's like a jump scare. Hmm. <laughs> um. So I, I recommend it if you like slower films, if you like that kind of child psychology and everything. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting. It's checking all my boxes. So yeah, I think you might watch. dig it. Mm-hmm. It's cool. not. It's not exploitive. It's not gory. It's not even really scary. It's just sort of a lyrical little children's perspective mm-hmm. type film. Cool. Yeah. Check it out. I dig it. All right. So today we are wrapping up our slasher block with Jason's pick, Bloody Birthday from 1981. Directed by Ed Hunt. That's right. In the uh, peak slasher craze, 1981. If you followed along with us in that first episode, we kind of set up the history, and this is the golden age of slashers. Mm -hmm. And and, and probably the peak year, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, I guess I'll hit us with the synopsis. Go for it. In 1970, three children are born at the height of a total eclipse. With the sun and the moon blocking out Saturn... Uh oh my God! This is like, yeah, English. Did you did you pull the same synopsis that I did? I think I, I saw that one. Yeah, oh, it's kind of jumbled. Fuck, fuck me, dude! Wow. Uh, in 1970, three children are born at the height of a total eclipse. Ten years later, all three children have become heartless killers and are able to escape detection because of their useful, in- youthful, innocent facades. A boy and his teenage sister become endangered when they stumble onto the bloody truth. Yes. That whole extra line they put in the synopsis to explain the lore of why they're evil is both unnecessary and also not grammatically correct. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not necessary. Interesting. The, the gist is, like, they were all born during an eclipse. They're born evil. Yeah. It's like the Midwich Cuckoos, a.k.a., you know, Village of the Damned. They're wow. Just, they're just evil kids. Um. So to lay down the genre, obviously it's a slasher. We know that it's it's more of the the golden age style of a slasher. Yep. Um, though I do notice that when we we laid out that checklist of like here's all the things that a slasher is, mm-hmm. this film kind of breaks from some of those. It does, which yeah. is one of the reasons why I think it's interesting, because like I said, it was during the height mm-hmm. of of the slasher craze. I mean, this was the same year that I'll just go through a few. Sure. Um, the Fun House, The Prowler. I uh, love the Prowler. The Burning, Graduation Day, My Bloody Valentine, Halloween 2, Friday 13th Part 2, uh, Madman. What a year. Yeah. Uh, so you've got all of these very traditional type slasher flicks with mm-hmm. an unknown person, masked killer, going around killing you know, nubile people. And this one is interesting because it... It's not really about that. It's about, you know who the killers are. Right, right. You know, you know they're the kids, right out, right from the gate, yeah. You know, and that kind of threw me off, too, the whole time. I was like, this seems like they're just giving it to us so much. Like, 
for about half the film, I was trying to work out that maybe like of the three, one of them wasn't actually evil. <laughs> and in fact, like the lead character, her younger brother, Timmy was one of the evil ones and it would be like yeah. a flip twist. They kind of do kind of tried to do yeah. like a red herring type thing mm-hmm. with him. That's doesn't quite work. But about when you're about halfway in, that kind of doesn't hold up. Yeah. Anymore, it falls so. apart. Yeah. I was like, Hmm, I guess it is just, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I like this one. Um, so it doesn't have the mystery aspect. You know who the killers are. Yeah. It doesn't have that typical revenge aspect. Right. Because these kids are not, they're only motivated, but they just want to kill. Yeah. I was thinking of that idea of like, there's a, there's a crime or a sin in the past mm-hmm. that creates the monster or the evil. Yeah. And then that is like revenged and carried out into the, or causes some sort of curtain. psychosis or yeah. something. But they're just born bad. Yeah, they're just shitty kids, man. They are compelled to kill. They get up and kill. <laughs> the people they kill do not get up and kill. <laughs> um, also, it, it's not as gory as a lot of the slasher films at the time. And I, I read something about how the director wanted it to be a little bit gorier, but they cut some of those scenes. Yeah, I had a note about that. They kind of talked him out of going that far. But I think it's, it's got good enough kills. I don't think it needs to be too much gore. I mean, I'm always for more gore. I wish there had been more gore, but I also think that um, with the way they've shot it, like a lot of the kills, you straight up see the kids doing the act. Right. And I think that part is like a shock value that kind of supplants the actual gore. You don't need the gore so much when it's a little 10-year-old. Especially when the kid gets the gun. Because those (laughs) are pretty pretty stark scenes that they make of him just gunning people down. Right. Okay, maybe we should just get into the movie. Yeah, let's, let's start walking through. Um, but yeah, there's this little preamble at the beginning. It starts in 1970. This town in California. Very weird intro, by the way. Um, it's almost like a <laughs> pseudo documentary yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And it, there's like weird sounds, and there's talking. You can't quite hear the talking. And the wind's blowing muffled. really hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they're born under a total eclipse, and then we cut to 1980. Ten years later, mm-hmm. same town, and uh, there's this couple making out in a cemetery at night, as you do. Like you do. Um, the guy's making a little game of getting to second base. Yeah, we're well, <laughs> playing ambulance, right? Yeah, like a green light, yeah. red light type thing, yeah. Uh, so she's worried that someone's going to see them. <laughs> so what do they do? <laughs> Let's get in the open grave. They hop into an open grave. I mean... Sure, why not? I'm down for it. I mean, people might find this incredulous, but <laughs> when you're like a young adult and horny, you do things <laughs> in places that you really know you shouldn't. Yeah. I buy this. I believe it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, okay, so they're messing around, right? And then we see like kind of the, the classic POV, mm-hmm. you know, the killer's perspective. Um, and some dirt falls down on the grave. The guy pokes his head up to see what the hell's going on. Wham. Hitting head with the shovel. Yeah. He gets fucking slapped in the face with it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's shot in a way where you see the shovel come in, but it's enough out of frame that you don't see who's holding it. Right. And then you see a, a rope dangle down and go around the chick's neck. And yeah, it's like a jump rope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you see the handle come off. And she gets strangled. And the guy's trying to fight back. He gets whacked again. And they both sink down into the grave. Pretty creepy. So it begins with a kill. It begins with some boobage. You know, good slasher material. Yeah, that was a thought coming from Final Girls to this, and immediately we get a little bit of nudity, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, we're back. We're back in it now. Right. Yeah. It's just it's a slasher movie. Just can't be too chaste, you know. 
you got to have some some nudity in there, you know, some some puerile <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> uh, so then we meet Joyce, mm-hmm. our lead, played by Lori Lethen. Yes, I, I really liked her a lot. She seems I like, liked her too. I liked the whole cast. Seems like she hadn't done too much else, but a lot of these people didn't yeah. do a whole lot else. Um, but the cast is good. Everyone mm-hmm. looks like relatable. They look like real people. Mm-hmm. They're not overly attractive. Except maybe with the exception of Julie Brown, who we will get to later. <laughs> um, but I hate it in horror films when this, modern horror movies are really bad about that, where everyone's yeah, just. I think of all the the Platinum Dune remakes. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. If, if you compare models. like the cast of the original to the cast of the remake, it's like whoa. Yeah. yeah. Really. Um. So she's <laughs> is she making a pickle sandwich? Is that what she's making? It looked like she had just two big like pickles on yeah. bread. I. I was disturbed by the implications of that, so I didn't really pay much attention to it. Um, but she, we immediately learned the first thing about her is that she is interested in astrology. Yeah, she's working on all these big complicated charts. She's doing like one of those uh, natal birth charts where you calculate with the horoscopes and stuff and figure out like personality traits. Um, and I had a random note I pulled about this because I also am somewhat interested in astrology, so I thought that was neat. But um, the book she's using is a real book. Uh, Linda Goodman's Sun Signs. So it's actually like you could go out and buy this book. It was a thing that was in print at the time. However, all of the material that she reads from the book is not from the book, and it was just from the <laughs> script that they had made up. Made to fit the story of the movie, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, astrology was huge back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the tail end of the whole uh, cult craze and mm-hmm. everything. Before it became bad. Yeah. Always, we also know that she likes to wear big-ass radio headphones. Yeah, yeah. Interesting look. <laughs> Uh, so behind her, we see this kid sneaking in the window and he like knocks over a knife while he's coming in and she sees him, hears him. His name's Timmy. Played by KC Martell. Yeah. And I will tell him myself here, the whole film, I was like, how the fuck do I know this kid? And I was like, oh, he's actually in uh, E.T. and Amityville Horror, so. Yeah, he has some other cred. Yeah. Um, and she's like, why are you coming in the window? He said he got locked out. He was feeding the dog. You can kind of tell he's lying. She doesn't really believe mm-hmm. him, but it's like, whatever. She lets it go. Yeah. So, and, I mean, obviously, we, we think that this is our final girl slash boy. And it's weird because uh, it took me a while in the film to figure out their family dynamic. It's not until later on you get all the pieces of the puzzle, but I think to lay it out now, um, their parents are like away on a trip of some yeah, kind. Yeah, some extended vacation or something. Um, and so... She's kind of Joyce is just kind of responsible for keeping an eye on Timmy, mm-hmm. make sure he stays out of trouble. Yeah, right. And uh, I guess she's like a TA of some sort because she goes to the elementary school. Yeah, she's like volunteering or something. Yeah. Uh, so she's goes goes to the class, and a teacher rims her out for being late, Mrs. Davis. Yes. Who is like your your typical bitchy teacher? <laughs> and a- she's every played kid by Susan teacher. Strasberg, who does a good job. And she's been in some stuff. But, you know, I know, I know something I'll say is that her performance is also nuanced. Because she's she comes across as really bitchy at first, but then she has some softer moments a little bit later. Yeah. To kind of humanize her. A lot of characters like hers wouldn't get that. Um, the Manitou, that's what I was thinking of that she's in. Oh, really? I fucking love that movie. Oh, my God. That's a crazy movie. Um, yeah, but you could tell she, she's like a probably the most talented of the bunch, acting-wise. Yeah. Um... So there is a sheriff addressing this class. <laughs> He's asking the kids if they know what murder is. 
he mentions that there was like some killings last night, mm-hmm. and he has the jump rope handle, yep. which he calls a skipping rope, and that really threw me off. I've never <laughs> heard it, never heard it, re- re- you know, called a skipping rope. Uh, so he's like, does this belong to anyone? Or if you if you know who this is, and you notice a few of the kids kind of give a knowing look, yeah. to one another, yep. Um, and this causes Joyce to ask Timmy where he was again mm-hmm. to give us a little bit of a red herring. Yeah. Uh, but the three kids who are exchanging the looks, I mean, we know they're the murderers, you know? Obviously. <laughs> yeah, the movie doesn't make a secret about it. It's uh, Debbie is the girl. Like, angelic, you know, typical cute. Played by Elizabeth Hoy. Who has one other horror film to her credit. The same year she was in X-Ray. Oh, Okay. A pretty forgettable movie, but I've seen it, but it's been a long, long time. But she has very distinctive features. I remember recognizing her. I was like, "Oh, it's the girl from Bloody Birthday." Hmm. But she didn't go on to do too much else, sadly, because I think she's good here. Um, Curtis, played by Billy Jane, and he is a respectable. He he's probably, he's the shittiest of all of them. Yes. He's just a little shit. He's like a mini Zodiac killer, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's probably the most psychopathic of all of them. Yeah. And Steven's the other one. He's this blonde kid. Played by Andrew Freeman. Now, see, he was the one I thought was going to be the red herring of, like, he's not actually the killer. Okay. Because early on, you don't see him do a lot. And it's not till I think they get the gun that you ever see him actually yeah. kind of get in the mix. He's not as bloodthirsty as the others. So I was like, oh, it's going to be this twist of, like, they're dragging him along and he doesn't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. But no, that's, it is what it is. But. Yep. Um, and Debbie is the sheriff's daughter. Who she's uh, the same age as Joyce. They're they're friends. Yes. Or no 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 no. I was blah, I just messed that up. Yeah, Debbie is the sheriff's daughter. Well, Beverly is her older sister. And Beverly is her older sister. Who we meet shortly. Who we meet in a minute, and she is Joyce's best friend. Yes. Um, and Debbie, the kids, they ask the teacher if there could be no homework next Monday because it's their birthdays. Yeah. And this is where we get the bitchy teacher thing. She's like, you know, just because it's your all's birthday doesn't mean that everything stops for you. Which, I mean, she's true. Mm-hmm. I guess more kids need that. Actually, <laughs> I, I think she's actually pretty cool. <laughs> I take back the whole bitchy stuff. <laughs> but she says it doesn't make them special. Mm. She also does a weird thing, too, where the bell rings uh, for class to end. Oh, yeah, that's the bitchy part. And she makes this point to say that just because the bell has rung, it doesn't mean they can get up and leave yet. The bell is just a signal that she can then now dismiss them when she wishes. Yeah, when she's ready. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, I guess is true. <laughs> hey, man, discipline. <sighs> yeah. Maybe I'm being too hard on her. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we see the three kids at Debbie's house, and they're, they're eating cookies, having a little snack or something. <laughs> we hear some music turn on. Yeah. And Debbie says, says, says to hurry up or they're going to miss it. So she takes them to her closet, <laughs> where she has a peephole, yeah. and she charges the boys a quarter to peep on her sister, yep. who is played by Julie Brown. Not downtown Julie Brown. Not mm. wubba, 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 <laughs> Julie Brown. And do you have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Those of you of a certain age will remember MTV VJs, mm. and one of them was Julie Brown. And confusingly, oh. this Julie Brown was also on there some. But anyway. What? Yeah, I know. They had two Julie Browns? That's why she was downtown Julie Brown. Oh. She was this hot uh, black English chick. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, you had to, you always have to make that distinction when you're talking about Julie Brown, <laughs> if you're like over 40. Before my time. Yeah. 
Um, so she, I don't know, she's she's pulling a muck. Yeah, so it seems like she's still stuck in the muckverse because she's dancing in front of the mirror, kind of checking herself out. She, she's dancing around, checking herself out, <laughs> get, taking off her clothes. But you know what? Damn it. She does it better than any of the chicks in the muckverse, if you ask me. That is true. But when it happened, I was always like, holy shit, man. Like, we, we reamed on Muck so much, and now, <laughs> yeah. now this film has proven us wrong. But that's also what we said about Muck. It was like it was like the one thing that it got right. Yeah. You know, it had the nudity. It had the you know, exploitation elements. <laughs> <sighs> that's a really big peephole. It's like, how yeah. does she miss that? How does she not notice it? It's crazy. Um, so then we next see Beverly and Joyce. They're walking down the street. And the sheriff stops them. And I know you got big Lori and Annie vibes. Yeah, I want to talk about this. There's a few moments in this film where they really channel another more popular slasher. (laughs) Um, And the first, and we haven't talked about it yet, but the score. um, Yeah. It has a very, like, at times, psycho quality to it. Because a lot of times when the kills are happening, there's very shrills like, going on. When it's not that, it's super, super, super... I would almost say you could have took him to court channeling Harry Manfredini and his score for the first Friday the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me a half-hearted yet. It's like... <laughs> but I would argue that was almost every slasher film uh, at that time. Maybe. You know? So there, there's that. And then these parts where it's Joyce walking around her suburban area, mm-hmm. these are so Halloween. Like, you would have the angles of them, like, coming up the street. Well, sure. And then, like, the sheriff car. Uh, he's riding up on them, the squad car. Like, But, I mean, every slasher film you know, <laughs> ripped off Halloween. It, it's it's You have to. <laughs> I don't know why, but in this time, it struck me as, like, very blatant. I found it more charming than anything, oh. you know? Because it's so of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, it didn't bother me. Although I did hear Don't Fear the Reaper pop up in the back of my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and then, you know, the other thing is one of them, he's barely a part of the plot, but one of them has a love interest named Paul. Yeah. And so immediately when it came up, I was like, oh, Paul. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> um, so the sheriff tells Beverly to be home before dark. Uh, he goes back to his house and he, he safely puts his gun in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. It's not locked or anything. Now they managed to linger on that for a while. Yeah. Um, and they got this weird security device. D- d- okay, did this exist then? I really I don't think know. so. I, I don't <laughs> think it did. It, uh, yeah, it like locks all the doors in the house. Yeah. In yeah. a secure way. I don't think it's a thing, but okay, whatever, fine. Um, they're doing a bit. Doing a bit. They're setting it up for later. At least they're set up some payoffs in this movie. Yes. You know, we didn't have a title card come up and explain to us, <laughs> right? Uh, so Debbie's calling her dad outside. Wants to show so show him something, right? I really like this scene a lot because the first thing you see is the kids set up a skateboard on the steps. Yes, and then she calls and is like, "Hey, dad, come watch." Yeah, yeah. And so you think like, "Oh, they're gonna trick him to like fall on the skateboard." Mm-hmm. And then when he comes out, he just steps over it. Yeah, he just steps over yeah. it. And uh, but she like has the the skipping rope in her hand, mm-hmm. and he's like, "What's this? What's this?" And he's like, he, he leans down and everything. And then yeah, that Stephen kid comes out with the bat and just wham right in the head. <laughs> and uh, Timmy comes out at this point. He's coming down the street, and he sees him kind of arranging the, his the sheriff's body on the steps. 
Yeah. And the kids like look at each other. Uh, uh, uh. And Debbie starts yelling that daddy fell. Mm-hmm. And the wife comes out and of course she's distraught. I feel really sorry for I don't know why I'm laughing. For it's, Debbie's mother because she goes through the ringer, man. <laughs> I don't think we ever get her first name. It's just Mrs. Brody, but she's played by Melinda Cordell. Yeah. She does the good whole, you know, tortured wife slash mother bit pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we're, we're and we get some weird like this is the one I'm, I'm gonna bully this film a little bit in a few ways but sure there's some weird cuts and edits in this film so we go from it's this, not muck bad but yeah. this moment it cuts right to the sheriff's funeral right to the funeral yeah immediately yeah, it's like whiplash <laughs> um, yeah and the kids are like looking at Timmy and you know that he's next on the list right yeah they're worried that he knows and they're wondering like is he is he on their side or what's going mm-hmm. on. So they go to play in the junkyard like you do. If I had a cool junkyard like this around my house, I would have played in it. <laughs> um, yeah, and Curtis has a fake gun that looks pretty damn real. And conveniently almost like the sheriff's gun. Yep. Uh, so he's showing that off a little bit. And uh, Curtis goes Timmy into getting into like a discarded freezer. Mm-hmm. The most dangerous thing in the world. Yeah, they're, they're saying, let's just play Indiana Jones in the Crystal Skull. <laughs> I don't know about you when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, it was like an abandoned refrigerator was the most dangerous thing. It was going to kill you. Stay far away from it. I feel like there's a story here I should ask about, but... No, it was a thing. It was like, you know, every like safety video and shit back in the day, it was like, stay away from abandoned refrigerators. Because I think, tragically, I think one kid somewhere Hmm. did get stuck in one and died. But... Then that one incident, it becomes the most dangerous thing in the world. You know, I only know about it for the memes, but I feel like there's a G.I. Joe PSA. I'm sure that, there that's is. about a kid being in a fridge. Yeah, something about pork chop sandwiches. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, so they get in there, and um, Curtis gets out and shuts him in there. Yep. And the kids leave. Like, there's like a lock on it. And this is a pretty pretty good, like, tense moment. Yeah, it he, is. He's worried about how to get out. Yeah, he's stuck in there. And we got the joy. She's talking to her parents on the phone. <laughs> did you, I don't know if the audio was weird on mine, but did her dad sound like an evil robot on the phone? <laughs> he sounded a little funny, yeah. yeah. <laughs> must, must have been a bad connection or something. Yeah, maybe. And we see a picture of her family, and the dude is, uh, the dude, the guy from, her father is the guy from The Hidden. Oh. Have you seen The Hidden yet? Oh, yes, I love The Hidden. The Hidden rules. But yeah, yeah, he's the guy that the alien takes the body of in the hospital, that wants the sports cars and everything yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Huh. That's him. Nice. So I see him, and I think bad thoughts. This, this, is, not <laughs> a good, this is not a good dude. Which, what, they're in the film for like one scene? Yeah, like right at, at the, the end. end. That's it. <laughs> Uh, luckily, Timmy, he seems pretty resourceful. Yeah, he he's, manages to save himself. He's got a little flashlight, and he MacGyvers himself out of the freezer. And he gets back home, and he's all dirty and shit. He tells Joyce that he was locked in the fridge, but she doesn't believe him. Right, this is uh, the boy that cried wolf, right? So he already lied once. Yeah. Why should she believe him now? And she's kind of pressing him on the other night and stuff like that. <laughs> and he admits that he was going over to Debbie's that one night. Yeah, he, he snitches on the people. He does. Spills the beans <laughs> about the people. <laughs> and uh, you know this is an 80s movie because Joyce is just more amused than yeah, anything. Yeah, she thinks it's funny. Yeah. 
But she does tell him not to play with Curtis anymore in the junkyard. Yeah, she says, you know, if that's what's going on, don't hang out with him anymore. So she's already getting, like, suspicions about, especially Curtis, about these kids. And then this is where we get Debbie with the scrapbook, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, she's pasting photos of her victims into her scrapbook. Yep, she's got a picture of her father, his obit, and then she's putting a picture of their teacher in there. Mm-hmm. And Stephen does a pretty good impression of their teacher. He's wearing <laughs> Curtis's glasses. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, oh, and that night, Curtis switches out the fake gun for the real one. Yeah. That belonged to Debbie's dad. It's still in the cabinet. And man, once he gets this gun, he like starts popping off. Like The level of him being depraved just kind of yeah. ramps out of control. Yeah. And, and this is another reason why I love this movie so much, because... This movie's not getting made today. Mm-mm. This is not happening. You know, no. sure we see movies with kids that they cuss and maybe I don't know. I can't think of any recently where we see kids killing people. But anyway, it's usually played so like, for laughs. Like Goodnight Mommy, right? They're kind of trying to kill the mom. I su- yeah, yeah, I suppose so. But it's it's not it's not a kid with a gun running around literally mowing people, especially when they go to the school. Yeah, just blowing them away. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So the next day they're at school, and he he pulls the gun on Mrs. Davis, and she's just sort of laughing it off, and she's like, "Don't bring that fake gun to school anymore." Mm-hmm. And then he just straight up shoots her. It's weird because he puts his jacket in front of it to try to silence it. Yeah. And it's like, dude, it's a fucking revolver. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not going to silence it much, no. No. And it's a little incredulous because they're like right in the heart of the school. So it's weird that no one heard it. But... I got the impression this was early. Hmm. Because she's like in the break room. like Maybe she just had like, she's getting some stuff ready. You don't see anybody there, else there's around. There's kids like right outside playing. Yeah. Although, you know, it's the 80s. Crime was so high. You'd hear gunshots going off all the time. <laughs> no one's paying any attention to it. <laughs> it's California. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so Joyce and, your word. <laughs> Joyce and Timmy are coming at the school, and they distract Timmy. And I love the scene where Timmy walks up to Curtis and just decks him. Yeah. Just starts kicking his ass for locking him in the fridge. Uh, and Joyce is inside, like the break room or whatever it is, and she's messing around. And in true slasher movie style, her body falls out of one of the closets. Oh, and we should highlight the moment right before she finds the body, though, because um, Stephen is still hiding in the room. That's right. And the revolver's been passed off to him. Yeah. And there's a part where Joyce goes up to like the um, the sink and is doing some stuff. She's kind of puzzling because there's that bloody rag there. Mm-hmm. And you see Steven kind of creep out, and he's thinking about shooting her. Mm-hmm. But then when she turns, he backs off and doesn't go through with it. Yeah. Which makes you think maybe he's not quite as bloodthirsty as the others. Because what, what was stopping him? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. True slasher fashion. He, she opens one of the cabinets. It's like one of those floor-to-ceiling ones. Mm-hmm. And her body just, boom, yep. slams out. And she freaks. And we next see her getting dropped off by the police at her house. And there's a note for her. Signed Timmy saying that he's playing at the junkyard. Mm-hmm. And she's Which, like, "What the fuck? I just she told him gets not to." Angry and storms off to go. Yeah, go get him. Um, and mean, meanwhile, uh, Timmy has Timmy's over, walking around. Yeah, yeah. He goes over. He's walking by Debbie's house, and he sees Debbie up in. They got like a little tree fort yeah. platform kind right. of thing. 
And she asks him to come up there. He does. And there's some line about... She asks him if he's ever played doctor. Yeah. And he says something about how he'd rather play baseball. Yeah. Which is interesting <laughs> to me because that implies that like she heard the kids in the graveyard when they killed them. That's what the kind of vibe I got. Like She was like puzzled about that in a way. Yeah. Maybe. Although I get the impression that when she says play doctor, she means more like her doing a vivisection of him or something like that, you know? Maybe. Uh, but we get this interesting scene where he's kind of just sitting on the edge of the treehouse, <laughs> and he's conveniently positioned in front of a garden spike, and you can see that temptation is there for her to push him off. Yeah. And she probably would have, too, but the phone rings from inside. They can hear it mm-hmm. and distracts her. And also in this scene, he notices her little uh, like murder book. Mm-hmm. Because he does ask her about it, and she's oh, it's my private book. And he says, oh, something like a diary or something. And she, yeah. she just is like, oh, yeah, yeah sure, a diary. Yeah. He, he care less. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> and I love how nonchalant he is. He's just like, well, bye. Yeah, oh, bye. This is boring. <laughs> I don't like girls yet. Bye. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Joyce is in the junkyard looking for Timmy. Uh, and then we see, like, one of the cars where you see a hooded figure pop up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's like sackcloth over the head, eyes cut out. And see, this is again where you've got Curtis running around with this gun, and then you have this image. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, he's channeling some Zodiac Killer vibes. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's both Curtis and Steven in the car, because one's working the pedals. <laughs> while the other one drives. <laughs> and they're doing the best to just plow into her. Uh, she runs away. Uh, she gets it to go over like a drop-off. Yeah, they get out of the car and like rig it so it, the accelerator's down and it goes toward her, but she gets out of the way and it falls off this. Uh, police officer shows up and saves the day, kind of. <laughs> this dude's real dopey. You can tell he was like probably the deputy, I guess. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's not ready for this job. <laughs> Which they do set up. This has been like a pretty like safe area because when the first murder happens before the sheriff dies, I think it's... I think it's Beverly. She's talking about her dad, and she's like, oh, it's the first murder that's happened in 20 years, and he's acting like he's going to war. Right. Yeah. Good point. probably a good way to be, given the situation. Seriously. Uh, Let's see what happens. Oh, yeah. Deputy shows up, sure. Oh, and we cut to Curtis doing his best Travis Bickle impression. Yeah. In front of the mirror in his room. (laughs) Practicing the, the quick draw. Yeah. Um, and then we see Debbie spying on Beverly and her boyfriend mm-hmm. for the peephole. And we see that she's got a bow and arrows in her closet. Yeah. M- more setup. Uh-huh. Uh, and they start making out, whatever. <laughs> she's watching with, like, clinical detachment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then that's when we get, what, Joyce and Timmy... And she's kind of teaching him about the astrology stuff, yeah. the horoscopes. Yeah. And this is where we get our plot drop, where she's reading from the book, and she says um, that if, uh, like, this whole thing about like, there was a solar eclipse, and uh, Saturn got blocked by the sun and the moon, and Saturn is the planet that controls the way a person treats to other people and their emotions. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that means that if that was blocked, it would be missing from their personality. Yeah. So these kids are missing something. Long way to say they're basically sociopaths. Yes. The void of empathy. And all the astrology stuff also reminded me of the beginning of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. When they're driving along in the van and the woman's going on about oh, astrology yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, everything. Yeah. Hmm. I forgot about that moment. Yeah. 
Uh, but it's real creepy because while she's explaining all this astrology stuff, Curtis is like creeping outside with the revolver. Yeah. And he's thinking he's going to get the shot to kill her. Just right through the fucking window. Yeah. But uh, he gets startled because uh, with the neighbors, there's a station wagon pulling out. And he kind of scuttles out to not get seen. Mm-hmm. And that's when he conveniently finds um, the shag van rolling up <laughs> in their neighborhood and parking. Yep. <laughs> Yep, and uh, it's it's a, a young guy and his chick, and they get into the back of the van to mess around. Mm-hmm. And Curtis just kind of stands at the front of the van and just like watches them for yeah, a while. Yeah, he like gets yeah. up on the bumper and he's looking yeah. through the you know windshield and everything. Uh, and the girl thinks she hears something, gets nervous, asks the guy to check, and he's sticking his head out the window. And you're thinking this is something's going to come down and whack his head, right? But no, no. He says there's nothing out there. And you know what I'm going to say? We get some boobs in this scene, but we also get some dude butt. Yeah. So. It's, you know. <laughs> it's a little bit for everybody, you know. Um, so they're doing their thing, and they hear something again, and the guy opens up the back of the van, and there's Curtis with the gun, and just shoots him, bam, right in the head. Mm-hmm. And then he's just grinning maniacally, and he starts shooting the girl. And this is where I thought this film might shift into a darker direction, because... He gets in the van with the girl. Yeah. And he's got this weird grin on his face. And, and, he, I, and I was like, what the fuck is he about to do? But yeah. then he just shoots her. And he was already peeping on Julie yeah. Brown and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So then I think our next thing is the birthday party, which they've teased several times up to this point. <laughs> yes. Uh, everyone's going to be there. Everyone. I say that at one point. Because uh, it's the total eclipse children's birthdays. Okay, now during this birthday, we see probably the scariest thing in this entire movie. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the clown. Oh, God, That looks like yes. a member of Kiss. Fuck yes. With a shirt that says, I can't say no. <laughs> of all the people that I wish they would have killed in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we only see him briefly, but... He's the most disturbing evil thing in this movie. There's some other movie out there that tells his story. It's like an intersection. <laughs> out there somewhere in the muckverse. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's eating up cake and all that good stuff. And there's Having more a good inside. Time. Yeah, yeah. And Joyce comes in to see that Curtis is in there adding icing to it. And like mm-hmm. messing it up. And she's fussing at him about it. She takes the one cake out. Comes back. He's doing the same thing. But he's holding something behind his back. Mm, yeah, a little vial of ant poison there. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "Oh, oh shit!" So he, he, she thinks that he's poisoning everybody. So she runs out. She's knocking the cake out of people's hands. And everything. this part's shot really well too, because uh, you, the viewer, find out about the poison before Joyce does, and they do a lot of quick cuts to different people eating the cake. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very effective. Yeah. <laughs> You even get that one person who's like, she says, the cake's poison. And he's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) But turns out it was just a ruse to discredit Joyce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes her seem crazy. Because Curtis goes up there and just eats a bunch of the icing. One of the kids, one of their grandpa, he takes a bite. Yeah. And then Curtis takes a bite. Uh Uh-huh. And she even says, you tricked me. You know, you wanted me to to think it was poison. And he's just grinning. This shit-eating grin. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so later that night, this is the part that bugs me. Uh, Joyce and Timmy, they're at their house and they hear something. Joyce goes to investigate. Mm-hmm. It's like the back door's open. 
Yeah. And she's in there and she's kind of scared. And suddenly the closet opens and her boyfriend comes out and scares her. Typical slasher misdirect, right? Mm-hmm. Now, her boyfriend, we find out, is in college. But you think he would have known about all these murders happening <laughs> yeah. in this town. Maybe not the right time to... Yeah, the prank is yeah. this girl, you know. Mm. It's a good way to get killed. But I thought this was a, a sweet moment between uh, the brother and sister because it's like... She's kind of kissing on her boyfriend and stuff, and Timmy's still there. Yeah. And then she's like, hey, you can go now. And he says, oh, well, mom and dad said that you had to watch over me, mm-hmm. but they told me I have to watch over you. Yeah. And then she's like, well, you can watch over me from inside your room with the door shut. <laughs> well, is, it, <laughs> is it sweet or is it creepy? I mean... <laughs> I mean, I think it's funny. Cause... <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I think it's innocent, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Timmy's like a rampaging future pervert or anything right you know? plus it's not his stepsister right. so you know <laughs> everything should be on the up and up <laughs> i think it was really more of like an embarrassing thing that, yeah yeah totally uh meanwhile we're at beverly's house and uh at debbie slash beverly and beverly's going through debbie's things her drawers looking yeah because she steals her makeup sometimes yeah so she's looking for something and, and she finds her sister's death book she confronts her about it, and she's very nonchalant. And so Beverly's just like, well, I'm going to show mom. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and mom, uh, mom's been kind of uh, vacant through the most of the film. She's a point. little absent, yeah. Um, pretty sure she's been, like, down in the volume. Yeah. What was it? T- Tiffany watched this with me, and she had some choice comments, but one thing she said she was probably too busy with the quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and Debbie says that it's not hers. It's Curtis's. I think she blames it on him. Mm-hmm. And her mom says, oh, you're not allowed to play with him anymore. Because it's got, like, pictures of all the people who have died. It's got her, her husband in there. It's too morbid. Know? Yeah. And she tells Beverly to burn the book. Which she promptly does. And earns the wrath of Debbie. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because I, I guess there is really a testament to how good the kid actors are in this. But you can see there's a moment when she first puts it in the fireplace that Debbie really wants to take action right away. Yeah, she's got the fire, the poker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she manages to hold back because mm-hmm. she knows there's no way to kind of masquerade that one. Yeah, not the right time. Uh, so Debbie calls Curtis and tells him to bring Stephen over. And then she goes into her closet, gets her bow and arrow, and she's like tapping the arrow against the wall to attract yeah. Beverly's attention. And I don't know why Beverly... Oh, and at one point, Joyce had told Beverly about this people. Yeah, I was going to bring this up, so... Before we get to this point, it's an incidental thing, but she mentions to Beverly about the whole like peeping yeah. hole thing. You would think at that point she would have sealed the hole. Yeah, because they're in the room. She tells her she yeah. sees the hole. Yeah, at least put something in front of it. You know, a big piece of furniture <laughs> or something. But she, no, she doesn't bother. Um, it's okay. she should have because she gets shot in the eye by a fucking arrow. Mm-hmm. So she's dead, bleeding on the ground. Debbie goes in there. She's like putting like paper towels underneath her head, right? Uh, her friends get there and they drag the body outside. Yep. Uh, her mother catches her cleaning up the blood. She says, oh, it's nail polish. Yeah, she spilled the nail polish that she stole. Yeah. <sighs> it's also funny because when Curtis and Steven get there, they're kind of mad at Debbie. And like, it's more in a playful way, but they're mad that she didn't wait for them. <laughs> yeah. To kill her sister. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to Beverly's funeral. Hard cut, hard cut to another funeral. I mean, like, how fast are they getting these going? Like, you know. Like the next day, man, immediately. 
Um, and her mother's really starting to lose it. You could tell here. Yeah, so she decides to check herself into a hospital for her well-being. Now, I got to say real quick that Debbie is wearing the same dress that she wore to her father's funeral, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty gauche, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'll let it go. It's fine. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Really punching down this episode, huh? <laughs> well, they are murderous, you know, horrible children. They're still kids, man. Yeah, you're right. You can't expect them to be masters of fashion. <laughs> I say as you're in, what, a college t-shirt over there? And, <laughs> and you're wearing a shirt, oh, yeah. Prism Video. I was waiting for the time to bring this up. Yeah, I have a shirt with the Prism Entertainment logo on it. They were the ones that distributed this movie on VHS. Yeah, and wasn't it? Didn't it come out like in '86, like five years after it, it was? It released took the a while, movie? and it took so long that it made there be these rumors about like the film was delayed or didn't actually come out in '81, but it did. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why this isn't better known because it was released kind of late on video. Yeah, uh, just just to run through it because I have it right here uh, since it came up. Um, it got a th- limited theatrical release in the U.S. by Rigard Productions in 81. Then Prism brought it to VHS in 86. And then Star Maker Entertainment reissued it in 1990. Uh, it hit DVD in 2003 thanks to VCI Home Video. And then it hit Blu-ray first in England from 88 Films in 2014. And then Arrow Video gave it uh, US1 or US Worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blu-ray in 2018. Yep. Which I would be very interested to pick up that Aero disc and see the special features on this. Yeah, I know there's a commentary. Yeah. I like to hear that. Okay, so... <laughs> Debbie gets a new scrapbook. Mm-hmm. It's got Joyce's picture in it. Uh, and Debbie goes to Joyce to ask her to babysit her tonight because her mom has to go to the shrink. <laughs> oh, there is an interesting scene before this, though. Uh, the three kids, they're kind of just playing in Debbie's house now because they have free reign to do whatever. Oh, uh, yes. And Curtis, it is Curtis, isn't it? Yeah, it's Curtis. He's fooling with that security system. Yeah. And he learns that he can, like, rewire it and make it do whatever he wants. Yeah. We saw him earlier, like, he had some, like, electrical thing rigged up showing his grandfather. Yeah, it was like, like a science project. Yeah. So we know that he's good with electronics and stuff. So there, there was some setup to this, too. Kid's an evil genius in the making. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Um, and uh, and it's when they're playing. That's when Timmy comes over and he throws rocks at their house. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and they run out and they're trying to string them with the garden hose. And this whole time, because Debbie sees Joyce come out, and Debbie's like, "Oh, leave him alone. You're going to hurt him." Mm-hmm. So Joyce doesn't suspect Debbie. Right. She just suspects Curtis. For she sure. really thinks it's Curtis. Like he's yeah. the ringleader and everything, yeah. which he kind of is. So it's not weird when Debbie asks her to babysit her. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, also, like, Joyce does challenge him and says, like, hey, I'm going to call the sheriff. And Curtis just turns around and is like, go ahead. He'll think you're crazy. Yeah. And um, you'll get arrested for assaulting a minor. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty wild. Little shit's thought of everything. Um, so that night, they're babysitting Debbie. Stephen and Curtis are outside the window that night. And uh, Curtis is, like, pointing the gun through the window again. Mm-hmm. But Stephen tells them they're bulletproof. Yeah. That came up earlier. <laughs> Yeah. Point. So the house has a security system. It's bulletproof. It's fucking insane. The sheriff was taking no chances. <laughs> it's like a doomsday prepper or something. <laughs> uh, Debbie lets them in, and then Curtis starts hot wiring the security system. Mm-hmm. He's locking everything out. They cut the phone line. 
And Timmy's on the couch sleeping, but he wakes up in time to see Curtis aiming his pistol. Yeah, it's a rough spot because he's sleeping on the couch, and then Joyce has her... Uh, Big mega headphones yeah, on. Yeah, radio again. headphones on with her back to the door. She probably has neck problems from those things. <laughs> probably radiation problems, too. <laughs> it's concentrated. Um, yeah, and he, he shoots at her but doesn't hit her, and Debbie comes up, and her patented move is to strangle with the jump rope. Yep, so she's trying to strangle him, but he kind of fights and gets off. And the, the pacing on this is, like, so good. Like, it's it's real, like, intense. Yeah, it's very rapid fire. A lot of near misses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because Curtis keeps unloading and doesn't hit anything. And they go for, like, everything. Like, they go for the doors. They find out the doors are, are locked and they can't open them. Yeah, they're running around. And at one point, the uh, closet opens behind Timmy. Yeah, no, yeah. it's Joyce, yeah. and, and Debbie's there with her, her rope <laughs> trying to strangle her, yeah. but she gets away, and I love the look on the girl's face. When she, <laughs> did you catch yeah, it? Yeah. She has this like, disappointed, like, oh, damn it. <laughs> it's great. Um, and then there's one part where uh, Joyce picks up like a, a lamp, and she tries to smash the window out, but she doesn't know they're bulletproof, Yeah. so it just like shatters against it and does yeah. nothing. <laughs> uh, they finally get into Beverly's room, trying to hole up in there. Debbie's shooting arrows to the peephole, but is missing. Uh, Steven gets in the room. They kind of knock him down and get him in this big trunk. Lock him in there. And they got to deal with Curtis. Yep. And this part's, a, it's a little incredulous, but I, I get there just kind of having fun with it. But it's like, we see him exhaust all his ammo, reload, and then mm. he goes to town on them. And I think he goes through like 10 or 11 shots. Oh, yeah. Without reloading. And I was like, dude, it's a revolver, though. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. It's way too fast to have him like have stopped and reloaded. Maybe he had a speed loader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's got him in his sights again. Pulls the trigger. He's out of ammo. And Timmy goes up there and punches him some more. Yeah, beats the crap out of him. And then they're tying him up. They're like hog tying him. And Debbie realizes the jig is up at this point. Yeah, she's fucked. So she's bolting. She leaves. And she just runs out the window. At the same time, her mother's pulling up. Mm-hmm. And uh, Debbie's saying that her friends did terrible things, but she's going to get blamed. Mm-hmm. Joyce is going to blame her. Yeah, yeah. Because Joyce just doesn't like her. So Debbie's mom hears like police uh, sirens in the distance, and she's like, get in, honey. And they gun it. Which is, it's really dumb, but also she's like insane. So I right. guess. Yeah, I, 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 I get yeah. it. You know, she's lost everything. This is her only daughter now. Right. It's, I get it. She's not in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um. So we get a scene with the kids going off in the cop cars. Yeah, police show up, they arrest them, and everyone is like shocked by this. Right? Who would have imagined? And Curtis gives another shit-eating grin to Joyce. Yeah, it's a great look too. Yeah, this, the smirk he has. And, um, th- and this is the scene where we finally get their parents. Their parents are back. Yeah, and they're standing. With- <laughs> they're just standing there. They don't even get a line. They're just standing there. <laughs> Uh, then we get a cool coda to the movie mm-hmm. with uh, Debbie and her mom. It's a shitty motel. And you see Debbie kind of playing with this jack. Mm-hmm. She's jacking it up and dropping it. Yep. Um, and her mom <laughs> says that your name is Bev now. It's Beth, I thought. Isn't is it? it Beth? Okay, I, I heard Bev. I thought maybe for Beverly. I don't know. But maybe it is Beth. Um, and Debbie promises to be good. Mm-hmm. She says, I'll be good this time. I promise. But they drive off. And then we slowly zoom in on... Uh, this big truck, mm-hmm. and there was a mechanic working on it, and he has been crushed. And you can tell the tire's off, so clearly he was changing yeah. the tire. Yep. So, U- using that jack. Using the jack that Debbie was playing with. Yeah. 
The end. Which is a great and amazing sequel hook that never came to be. It's not too late. <laughs> 40 years later, they'll be 50 years old. But, I mean, you could still do it. I mean, if the Mutilator can get a sequel, <laughs> I think anything's fair game at this point, right? Sure. I mean, if you don't want to cast the original kid actors, you could just set it anytime you want. I mean, I would love one that was like Debbie high school age. Oh, that'd be great. And like both her and her mom are like kind of the killers, like they're cooperating. And we could have like a period piece, be like the late 80s. Yeah. You know, mid late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. We need to make this happen. Who's, who's got the rights to this? All right. Who <laughs> wants to put up a little money? <laughs> Start a GoFundMe for it. Kickstarter. But yeah, that's the movie. That's the, mm-hmm. whole, that's the whole shebang. Yep. Um, do you have any fun? Additions of little, little background stuff. We mentioned a few things. Um, um, I did want to talk about the kids. Like they were very good with them as far as handling them in the film. Um, the parents were on set the whole time they were shooting. They knew everything that was going on. I'm sure the kids were having a blast. Um, from what I gathered, the little little I didn't go too deep on this, but the little bit I researched, like they were very like okay, you know, they explained everything to the kids that they were doing, and the, you know, they're playing pretend. And kids know how to play make believe. Um, yeah, people need to give kids more credit. I agree, but it is good that they at least... Oh, sure. I mean, you, you do need to put everything in context mm-hmm. and make sure they're not, you know, psychologically <laughs> scarred or anything. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, Lori Lethen, she got to do all her stunts in this film. Yeah. Which is cool. And she said she really enjoyed that. There's a quote from her that she said, uh, I'm kind of an outdoor gal and also a bit of a tomboy. So when I was given the idea of running around and doing my own stunts and being chased, that whole concept was very fun to me. That's fun. That's cool. Um, oh, uh, Beverly had some cool posters oh, in yeah, her yeah, room. Oh, yeah, she did, yeah. She had a Ted Nugent, which isn't so cool, uh, poster <laughs> for various reasons. Do your own research. <laughs> uh, Roger Daltrey poster. That was a weird one where he's like a centaur. Yeah. And, oh, that was strange. I know Eric Estrada was in there. Debbie Harry, mm. who I love. Uh, Van Halen. You can see Rocky Horror Picture Show. And isn't there a Blondie poster, too? Uh, yeah, Debbie Harry. Blondie. Oh, yeah. 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 No. I always forget. Right. <laughs> oh, um, oh uh, another thing that Lori Lethen said was, like, the mood as far as, like, when they worked on the film. It was really, really lighthearted despite all the horrific elements. And she said that usually the uh, kids, they would be laughing and running all around the set between takes. It had to be fun. And just having a good time. And, like, everybody was, like, it was, like, the same vibe. And they were just all on it. Oh, and apparently the first title was Happy Birthday for the movie. Mm-hmm. But then they thought we'd get confused with the 1980 movie, Happy Birthday to Me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which Probably a good switch. I think so. I think so. I think Bloody Birthday is much... has the alliteration. You know, It lets you know that it's a horror film. And Happy Birthday to Me, I think, is not a great movie at all. Have you ever seen that one? I've never seen it. Yeah, it doesn't... I wouldn't know it was a horror film... Just by the title. Right, yeah, it, it doesn't work. It does have a cool cover, though. That's the one with the guy with the shish kebab in his mouth. Oh, I've seen that, yeah. 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 Hmm. Oh, uh, to the whole, like, working with the kids, uh, they weren't allowed to work past a certain time in the evening, and that was also, like, an issue a few times. So on occasions, they would have to pull them out in the middle of shooting during a night scene and just, like, scrap what they were doing and shoot some other stuff because mm-hmm. they couldn't keep the kids any longer. Yeah. Oh, and Jose Ferrer is in it a little bit. He plays the doctor that delivers them. Mm. And he gets a special appearance credit. And, of course, a couple of years later, he would be in one of your favorite director's movies. 
he would be playing the emperor of the known universe, <laughs> Shaddam the Fourth, <laughs> in David Lynch's Dune. Yes. Quite the prestigious role. <laughs> That's the role that Christopher Walken has in the new one. Really? Yeah. I'm very interested to see what they do oh. because he, Walken may actually act again, which <laughs> would be nice. Yeah, the trailer was pretty cool. Yeah, the trailer looks awesome. Um, this had some different titles in other countries. In France, it was The Killers of the Eclipse. I like that title. Very on the nose. And then in Germany, it was Children of the Devil. Yeah. That works too. But I think as far as fun notes, that was all I really had. I bet there's a lot of good stuff on those uh, special features. Probably. If we had had access to them. Yeah, I don't own that one. Well. Well, this brings us, I guess, to what we thought of the film. I don't think I have anything else like technical to add about it as far as like the production of it or... Not really. You know? I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't... Speaking briefly of the production, it, it, it isn't like the best shot movie. It isn't mm-hmm. the best looking movie. It's a little pedestrian. But it's yeah. It fits perfectly in with all the other slasher movies at the time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. What did you think about it? Okay, I'll go first. Yeah. Um. So I think there's a lot to like here. There's a lot to love. I think mm-hmm. the strongest thing is the performances. Like literally every actor in this is like really really good. Yeah. And when you look at some of them and realize they really didn't go on to do too much more, it's like wow, like. Yeah, especially the kid actors. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, is what it is. Um, there's a lot of, like, incredulous plot points in this film that kind of pulled me out a little bit. I, I hit most of them along the way, but, like, the the gunshot in the school. Um, let's see, what else? The the extra bullets in the gun. Um, it, that one really bothered me, too, because they make a point that whenever he runs out of bullets... Timmy makes fun of him and says, oh, you couldn't just count to six? <laughs> yeah. Which was a great line, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, the fact... That, I, I know the mom's crazy, but the fact that she, like, just immediately believes Debbie and whisks her away... I buy it. I buy it. Um, she's, yeah, man. She's distressed. It's a little lacking in the gore department. I think we established <laughs> that off the yeah. game. I do think that the fact that it's kids and that they really show them going through the acts, that does kind of counterbalance that. Yeah, nice you got way. a kid firing a gun at people... Um, but also the fact that a gun is the main murder weapon for a lot of the film, that's like, it, re- it really hampers a lot of what you could have done for the gore. I agree, but it's also a smart choice. Mm-hmm. And these kids are smart. You know, they, they lack the strength from, of an adult. So, I mean, to have a ranged weapon like that, it's... Except again, and it, talking about incredulous stuff, this was one that Tiffany griped about that I was like, hmm, I don't know, maybe. The fact that when they're in that grave... And they beat the one guy with the shovel, and mm-hmm. then like they choke the ch- the woman with the jump rope and lift her up off the ground. Yeah. For the three kids to do is a little, a little out of there. Maybe, but also, I mean, unless we're, unless we're gonna say they're supernaturally empowered, they could be by the eclipse. I mean, a kid wielding a shovel that's still gonna get you some momentum and stuff. And it could have been two or you know two of them tugging on the rope. Maybe I'm okay with it. It doesn't take me out. Um. The score is like super derivative. It I is. thought that's it's probably the weakest part of the movie. Really weak. Um, and then I went back and forth on this, so I don't know if this is like an attraction for me or a benefit. But um, the fact that we know the killers out the gate, mm-hmm. I wonder if it could have worked better with more of like a whodunit angle to like sussing things out. 
and the comparison for that is uh, Bay of Blood. That, sure. That teases it out for a long time before you pick up on it. That's the kids. Well, the kids weren't killing everyone, though, were they? Because there were, there were different killers yeah. in Bay of Blood. But at the end, the kids kill them because they, they think they're playing a game. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I see what you mean. Uh, and that could work, but I also really love seeing the kids, their mm-hmm. machinations. And in figuring things out and plotting against people. And that's why I say I go back and forth on it. Because if you do the mystery angle, you can't have any of that. Yeah. So then I think if those are gone, like those were some of the best scenes in the film. that right. were really effective, really striking. Yeah. Really stayed with you. So it's one of those like, who knows? You could never say one way or the other. Sure. Um, give it a lot of props for its concept. Very original. Mm-hmm. Very bold to just show a kid running around with a revolver gunning adults down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but because of those other detractions, it does make me like, I can't just like, you know, I don't have that feel when I was finished. So I was like, man, I love this. This sure. is like slasher gold. Right, right, right. Um, strongest things, definitely the performances, uh, especially the child actors. Like that's its own struggle. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in some of our other films that we've covered over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of 5,000 fingers of Dr. T <laughs> Where when they talked about like shooting the scene with all the kids, it was just and, it, and it was just a fucking nightmare. Yeah. There was chaos, and it's a wonder they ever <laughs> completed it. That's the charm. Um, so the fact that these kids were really on point, really great the whole time. They're never obnoxious. They have they do the right you know faces in the right moments, say the lines the right way. Like really, really, really on spot. Some of the best kid performances I think I've ever seen in a film. Um, that's really commendable. Lori Lethen, I love her as the lead. She yeah. should have been in more stuff. She should have been a screen queen, I think. She's great. Yeah. Uh, she's great in this. She has a great, you know, girl next door type. Yeah. Appeal. She has the girl next door vibe. She has a really strong presence. And it, she really carries you through the film, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all that being said, I'm pretty solid at a three. Three? Yeah. Yeah. That works. That's fair. Mm. Cool. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, I like it because I, I brought the movie to us. Um, but I think all your critiques are pretty on point. Oh, before you continue, I got to say one more thing. No, please. Uh, in giving it a three, it made me think back to Muck, which I also gave a three. <laughs> really starts to make that three over there look more flimsy by comparison. Because <laughs> even with all the stuff that I kind of didn't like about Bloody Birthday, God, it's still a world of sure. magic beyond what Muck was. Yeah, but it's also okay to enjoy a movie for its, it's badness. It's shittiness, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's true. All right, um, all right, please continue, my friend. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with a lot of your critiques. Um, what I love about this movie is that it is, for the time, it's pretty daring, having mm-hmm. you know kid killers and everything. And it's different from all the other masked you know killers mm-hmm. that we, we saw at the time. Oh, yeah, that's... Sorry to keep cutting in. No, you no, spent, no. You're making me remember thoughts I had. Mm-hmm. Um, like, when I think of other one-and-done slashers from this time, like, The Burning is one of my favorites. Yeah, The Absolute favorites. But it is, in a way, like, even though it is really well done, it's also very derivative because it is just a summer camp slasher yep. that's, like, 100% to the formula. Yep. So it's cool that Bloody Birthday did, like, you can't say, oh, it's just, like, another one of these. Right. Yeah. It's not really. It's very much its unique concept. And in a lot of ways, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if slasher is even the best term for it. Mm-hmm. I think it fits. But yeah. It, it's also more of a... I don't know, thriller, yeah. uh, suspense. For um, sure. Maybe even barely supernatural because of the whole eclipse thing, mm-hmm. you know? 
But I like that that isn't um, the biggest part of the movie. I'm glad it's yeah. not. I'm glad they don't have like psychic powers. Yeah, there's another version where they could have really leaned into yeah, that. Yeah, where it was like a village of the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And... Which I did get some of that vibe sometimes. Sure, but we don't see them like levitating people or killing yeah, them yeah. with their mind or any of that <laughs> shit. Um, yeah, the, the, every, all the actors are great. Everyone's well cast. Uh, it's a little flat looking, which is pretty typical of all the cheap slashers at the time. Like I said, the music's derivative. Um, but it has this just sense of fun. You know, it's never boring. Um, it's got good kills. It's got some, you know, got some boobage for, <laughs> for all the puerile 13-year-olds running this at the video store. Or people that are like us that are adults now and never grew out of it. Uh, it's, just, it's just a fun little different movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a classic. You know, I would never put it up against, you know, Halloween. Right. You know, um, but it's a fun, underseen movie that I think more people need to pay attention to. And I would love to see a sequel. I really would. Yeah. Like, if you could get those same kid actors, I don't know if they're still in the business. I don't know what they look like these days. And, you know, that's the really scary thing about the idea of a sequel is, like, none of them died. Right. So, Curtis and Steven, they could get older and get released or... It's possible they didn't even go to prison. Right. They could have gone to a psychiatric thing. And then, oh, they're rehabilitated. Let Uh them go. Right. And then they rock up and find Debbie again and it just... And what's Debbie been up to all this time, you know? There's a lot of of meat there you could pull on. Yeah. But this movie doesn't have the cult following to get that sequel, sadly. Unfortunately. Um, So, I'm at... I'm pretty close with you. I think I'm at a 3.5. Oh, nice. Yeah, three and a half stars. Yeah. Uh... I could almost see myself going up to 3.5 just so it has a different score than Muck. (laughs) It's at least half a star better than Muck. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I said three, so I'm going to stick to three to now. now. That works. That works. Um, I do think, though, if you're a slasher person, if slasher's your thing, Mm -hmm. and you've not seen this one, this this is one you should see. Absolutely. To have in your repertoire. And if you love killer kids, it's a Mm no-brainer. Sweet. Nice. Yeah. So hopefully someone out there hasn't seen this and will now be introduced to it. It's streaming a lot of platforms. It's on Shutter right now. I think it's on Tubi. I watched it on like Tubi because I didn't yeah. know it was on Shutter. There you go. Hmm. I wish I had known it was on Shutter. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Those ads get in the way sometimes, don't they? Big goof on my part. Uh, so this is the end of our slasher block, and it has been a fucking amazing time. Had a blast doing these films. Yeah. We took an interesting trajectory where we started kind of modern with films that were nostalgic throwbacks to the golden age. And then you brought us back there to wrap it up. We had to go back to 81, man. We had to like every slasher. You have to go back (laughs) to the source, back to where it started, back to where it started. You know, the rules, Mm -hmm. Randy set them. (laughs) That being said, we now need to do a listener film. Yes, we do to cleanse our palate and, and wipe away the, the muck (laughs) of this block that we've done. As you might say. And so, if I can just bring it up real quick on my phone here so I can talk about it. Uh, we're going to go back to something we've already visited in the past. Because a listener suggested it. We're going back for a little Indian cinema. I already see you're starting to sweat, Jason, over there. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I don't, I don't think this is a... Uh, was it Yavaram Nalum or whatever? Oh, uh, B thirteen B thirteen B. Let's get that switch. Yeah, we're we're gonna check out a new one. Um, we're gonna be watching Monica Oh My Darling, directed by Vasan Bala from twenty twenty two, 
Now, this is on Netflix, so it's very accessible, very easy to get at. Everybody's got Netflix. Yeah, for sure. Or someone else's password for Netflix. And just a fun connection I wanted to throw in, because I noticed this when I was kind of doing a little research on the film. Uh, the lead is played by Rajkumar Rao, who was Alu in Ludo. Nice. So we were, we were very familiar with this uh, actor already. Yeah, we like him. Yeah. Excellent. And I'll just hit you with a synopsis now, since this is a new undiscovered territory for us. I've not seen this either. Uh-huh. Um, a slick robotics expert joins a murderous plot after a passionate affair takes a sudden turn. But nothing, not even death, is what it seems to be. Mm. So it kind of has some thrillerish vibes. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like it might be like a My Deadly Friend kind of thing. Where he puts a robot chip into a dead girl. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but we're going to find out next time. All right. And I hope that all of you dear listeners will come along with us for the ride. Yes. Don't don't make us do it alone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all that being said, we're here at the end now. We bid a fond farewell to the world of slashers for the time being. For the time being. I'm sure we'll come back. I'm sure we'll return. And you, listener, can make us return if you just suggest us a movie. We hit some wide range on these three films, but there's so much more we could have got to. Oh, yeah. And you can help us do that by suggesting a film that we should check out and cover for the podcast. Yeah, what slasher movie did we miss? Yeah, what's your, what's your hidden gem that's like your one that you champion? We want to know. Send it to us. Maybe we'll do an episode on it. If we do, we will mail you a super cool genre exposure sticker for free. Yeah. If you want one. It's totally compulsory. We won't make you take it. We won't make you take it. We won't stalk you and show up at your house. (laughs) But they are pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And I definitely won't bring Kill Her Goats. (laughs) Make you watch it. Make you watch it. (laughs) Stare at you the whole time so I can see your reaction. (laughs) No, it's not going to happen. No. But if you are interested in that. (laughs) We can make it happen. (laughs) You can hit us up on Facebook. You can hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up on Instagram. You can email us mm-hmm. your secret desire to watch Kill Her Goats with us <laughs> at genreexposure at gmail.com. I'll bring the beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has been Genre Exposure. All right, take care, everybody. Bye. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening